Welcome to the Growth Hacking Culture Podcast. I'm your host, Ivan Palomino. This podcast is about thought-provoking ideas to scale up and growth hack performing and human-centric work cultures. My guests are experts on mindsets, skills, and science behind work cultures. I hope you enjoy this episode. Today, I wanted to discuss about something that, I mean, we know that leadership has been improving. But I wanted to dwell more into the area of all these leadership pitfalls that haven't improved yet. The, the common mistake that kind of sabotage the success, our success at work. Um, and, and the funny thing is that there is some numbers that prove that leadership is improving. There was in 2023 uh, state of leadership report by Gallup saying that, hey, 84% of employees are satisfied with their leadership. Satisfied doesn't mean that we are super happy. Happiness is not satisfaction. That's one. But it is an increase from 70% in 2015 to 84% in 2023. That's that's a little bit better. Um, the other thing is that um, we, we know that there is some areas of improvements that leaders should be working on still now. Uh, there was a Gallup research saying that 61% of employees believe that the leaders could improve their communication skills. Hmm? There is 78% of employees believe that they do not receive enough recognition for their work. Glassdoor 2022. And 59% of employees believe that their leaders could improve their empowerment delegation of tasks. Uh, that was by Garner in 2023. And, and all these numbers if you put them together, is kind of the topic of one incredible book that was written by Nancy Lyons. And let me tell you a little bit more about my guest. My guest today is a CEO and co-founder of Clockwork. It's a design and technology consultancy. She is the author of a kind of, how can I use that? The, the language that I should use is that it is like a natural language and true about leadership the the name of the book is work like a uh, like a boss a kick in the pants guide to finding and using your power at work um in this book nancy is sharing kind of some le lessons learned through the her personal experiences and sometimes experimentation and what she has observed in her 25 years of business leadership uh, oh and something that i love about nancy and well, it's not the topic of today, but it will be kind of, we can go there. Is that a genuine advocate for gender equality? And this is something that I appreciate. Every, every time that I have a guest who is on that area, I, I, I need to say, and maybe we will talk about it a little bit more. Nancy, welcome for tonight for being with me. And really, thank you very much for making the time. Uh, I know that you're busy, but I, I just wanted to to understand this transition, how did you end up creating a book about that specific topic? What was the thing that made you like, let's do it. I need to Sure. Thanks for having me, Evan. I really appreciate it. I appreciate meeting you. Um, you know, the book really came out of uh, not only building 
a company and growing a company over the course of 20 years, but also working with a wide variety of organizations um, in the context of our work. So I always tell people, you know, I don't work for a big company, but I work with so many. And it gives me a really interesting view into how people inside those organizations work, how they collaborate, what their culture is like, how um, expressive they are. It's a great view into what, you know, especially corporate America looks like. And so it's been, um, it's been a real gift. And I was able to draw from those experiences to write the book. So that's really it. It was, you know, I, I I work for a relatively small company. My company is relatively small, but we work for large Fortune 500, Fortune 100, Fortune, you know, 1000 companies. And that has been a real opportunity. Tell me, we always have the impression that in developed countries, USA, Europe, like being a boss and being a woman is kind of like, now it's natural. Mm -hmm. Is that natural? Especially when you started like 20 years ago, was it natural to have like somebody, a founder, CEO of a company meeting all these big shots of, uh, of the Fortune 500 and most of these Fortune 500s back then were males. Was it that easy? No. Easy. We still don't have the kind of representation we need in corporate leadership positions, on corporate boards. Um, so the numbers are still, you know, wildly low um, and not representative of the talent that's available out there. And don't even get me started on, you know, besides women, the diversity of talent and thought. Um, and I, you know, when I started, um, I started my career about 25 years ago. I was uh considered very young. I had men say all sorts of things to me, like, you probably shouldn't deliver this message alone. You need somebody with gray hair in the room. They won't take you seriously. You might want to consider changing your wardrobe. Um, I was involved in a company prior to this that was acquired. Um, I was the only woman leader of a business unit and the only one who, um, well, wore pants for one thing. Uh, yeah, that, I mean, that was just 25 years ago. The men talked to me like I was an idiot. Um, although I was the only one who understood technology to the degree that I did. So it was, that was a real learning experience. And I often say that I got an MBA, you know, in a drive-through, I was basically like thrown into the fire and that was my education. So no, it was, it was never easy. It's still not easy. I take great pride in the fact that my leadership team is 60% women, um, that we, you know, move through the world with a pretty decent profile. And those women, all of them represent the organization, um, you know, better than me, probably. Um, and, and we've always been real advocates for the power of women, but also marginalized communities. Mm um what is well is, is sad is that in let me tell you right this in 2019 there was an article by harvard business review the title is research women score higher than men in most leadership leadership skills and it's sad because that article that has a lot of research and valuable information where in most of the leadership dimensions, women were outpacing men, 
was not promoted enough. I can tell you, I remember the first time that I read it. It was by luck, by the way, because nobody told me and I, I, I was in front of the magazine. So, and nobody heard about that. And we are always discussing about the uh, women in leadership without the real data, without the research. But there is research that shows that one, women can can and are often better than men in certain leadership traits, in most of the leadership traits. And the second part is that these leadership traits can be learned, that men can get inspired by. So there is not like biologically um, awesome. It is like you can learn if you want, but mm -hmm. are men really ready to learn from women? That's the, the, the big question, right? Yeah, I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, I, I I hesitate to go here, but I think it's important to acknowledge that I think, you know, particularly here in the United States, um, leadership positions are largely held by older white males. Mm. And I think, um, I think older white males as a category are feeling somewhat attacked right now, which makes the question you just asked that much harder because I don't know that um, that particular category of humans is in a place where they want additional feedback about where they're lacking and how they could improve how they show up for their workforce. So I, I, I think we're in, a, I think we have to find, you know, I think, I think what's really necessary is for men, but really all humans to evolve and open themselves up to feedback and the opportunity for change. I think hierarchy has created this sort of mindset that suggests that when you get to be the boss, you're done. You know what there is to know, right? And I think being a curious learner is part of that, but I don't know that we talk about that enough and they're there for a reason. And so I don't know that they're that malleable or adaptable when, I mean, maybe on behalf of their whole organization when it comes to perhaps financial decisions, but when it comes to their own sort of characteristics that they bring to their leadership, I, I'm not sure that most men are going to receive that information in a friendly way. Mm, indeed, indeed. And, and that drives us through to, to the, the core of this discussion, that which is about, about leadership. So COVID has been very hard in most of employees, and that includes as employees, also bosses, leaders. Um, and it was like a, a good opportunity to learn your things. But mistakes had to happen. According to what you have observed, uh, what are the biggest mistakes or or fails that leaders have done during the COVID times? What have you have we uncovered because of COVID? In fact, sure. I think I think mistakes that were pretty common as we moved through this COVID crisis was, you know, first of all, I think a lot of leaders just didn't adapt quickly enough. I think they struggled to respond very quickly because nobody knew what it meant. You know, and, and nobody had been through it before in their lifetime. So they didn't have the experience and the data didn't exist to suggest how we respond to this crisis. 
Um, I, I think it required, you know, us to adapt to um, technology, you know, being largely remote, but also how we managed and communicated with teams. I think you said earlier, you know, poor communication is something that people have identified as being an issue with leadership now or, you know, prior to the pandemic. I think in the context of the pandemic, I think it was that much more um, noticeable, you know, this idea that leadership doesn't have a, 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 a the ability to frequently connect with the workforce. I think unclear and infrequent communication led to a lot of anxiety and uncertainty. You know, we talked a lot about the unprecedented times we were living in. And because people didn't know how to respond to those unprecedented times, we actually created more anxiety um, and, and, and more discomfort among the workforce. And so I think what that may have felt like was, um, you know, leadership sort of neglecting the well-being, overlooking the well-being and the mental health, um, you know, issues that arose and the emotional issues that arose during the pandemic. And I think it was a really, uh, uh, really stressful period. And I think leadership, you know, I think that was a significant oversight of leadership in not sort of taking into consideration that these are humans afraid for their livelihoods, afraid for their families, you know, being stuck in a work situation because their bills didn't stop and really feeling like they didn't know what was coming. And, you know, nobody changed, you know, very few leaders changed their communication styles to address it. So I'd say those were probably the biggest leadership mistakes that I observed. Uh, what What is kind of crazy is that we always have in our brains uh, we always have this tendency to put communication in a big bucket. and But communication, I mean, if a leader is good in communication, like presenting to others to like, these are the results or these are the ideas for in, in business is one thing. But what wasn't working during COVID is the type of communication that was more individualized, personalized to, to people. So that means that even though leaders were tagged, labeled as, Hey, you're awesome to communicate because you can inspire a lot of people. You can convince everybody to get on board on the uh, on these new uh, uh, activities, new strategies. But in the individual side, where we need to have one-to-one -one communication, more empathy uh, with with people, we leaders were sucking. That like they were really, really, really bad. Uh, and that's I, I'm glad that you have uh, you have brought the, that topic. Um, another thing that that you have mentioned, I was thinking is like you, I mean, you mentioned that we need data to a uh, uh, in order because we didn't have the data in order to adapt quickly to to uh, to change. But for me, it's almost like we didn't have the courage to ask people who had that skill to say, hey, how do I do it? How do I use this new te technology? Uh, how do I become a little bit more em empath empathetic, even if, if the guy that you're asking to is one of your direct reports? Uh, I think the lack of courage to say, I don't know, I need to learn quickly, uh, was lacking big time during that uh, period. Yeah, I totally agree. I actually think that being able to say, I don't know, is a remarkable characteristic of a true leader. And I think, um, you know, going back to what I said earlier, we have this idea that, um, 
you know, hierarchy suggests ability. Um, and as a result, those folks at the top of the food chain, um, you know, we expect more of them and, and we assume that they're able to deliver. And I don't know that that's always true. Um, so I, I, I totally agree with you. I think, you know, just because you're a leader doesn't, doesn't mean you have empathy, doesn't mean you're necessarily good with people. People get to where they are in their career paths for a variety of reasons. And I know a lot of CEOs that were simply great with numbers or deals and shareholders really don't care about much else. And so it's easy to reward, you know, um, it's easy to reward performance based on numbers alone, but I think in order for us to compete going forward, we have to center people better. And I don't think those two things have to be mutually exclusive. I don't think that we sacrifice performance by centering humans. I think our process may look different, how they show up for us might look different, but the numbers will reveal that new uh, focus um, in due time. And I, I don't, I don't think it's a sacrifice. <laughs> Listen, I, in your, in your book, Work Like a Boss, um, you, you have a full chapter about accountability that it's just, the, the title is On Your Shit basically mm -hmm. it is it is oh, i'll say it, it. Is. it is what it is uh, yeah. so what are the things a boss should feel more accountable for i mean it's like we receive like we become a boss and we are accountable for let's say business results but what are the things that you feel most leaders today are leaving behind they don't they don't feel that accountable Well, I think we touched on it, right? Um, leaders should take responsibility for their decisions, including their mistakes. I think they have to own their mistakes. I think we're really good at deflecting, you know, who did what and why. But I think demonstrating accountability by addressing those mistakes actually models the behavior that you want to see in your workforce. And I think it starts with leadership. And let's be clear, I didn't write that book just for CEOs or C-level executives. I wrote it to encourage everybody to tap into their inner leader and bring it with them to work because you know I've talked a lot about hierarchy in our conversation so far but hierarchy displaces agency so I don't I I perceive my role inside of this organization as having no power the people that have power are going to tell me what to do therefore I'm just this malleable instrument and I think we miss out on talent and vision and um you know great ideas and solid collaboration by allowing that to continue. So what I really wanted to do with the book was encourage everybody to recognize what it looked like to work like a boss, to have some ownership. And so I think, you know, when we think about accountability, I think leadership modeling accountability means that we may see more of it when we really don't. I don't think, I don't think organizations impress upon, and I'm going to say this, but I don't feel this really. But what I mean is, you know, just the average workforce, the, the rank and file, I don't think they know how to show up accountably. I, you know, what's going to happen? I might lose, people are either afraid of losing their jobs or not. And there's no gray area. There's no middle ground. You know, they make a mistake. Oh, am I going to lose my job? And what I'd like to see shift there is people recognize that mistakes are learning opportunities, that, you know, being outside of your comfort zone is a growth opportunity. And we can take that mistake 
take, apply it to the next iteration of the problem, learn from it and move from it. And ultimately we'll create the solution together. I also think, you know, that accountability thing, um, you know, where bosses, but where all people have really sort of failed, um, uh, is is around transparency. I think being open and transparent about the challenges you're facing, about not knowing how to talk to your workforce, about not knowing how to connect in a one-on-one -on -one way or, or really make everybody feel seen. I think actually speaking to the decisions you make and why you make them, all of that is crucial to building trust. And the reason that people felt so uncertain during the pandemic is they didn't trust what was happening. And so trust is an important part of leadership. I also think, um, you know, supporting um, growth in the workforce. I think leaders should feel accountable for the growth and development of their of their people and providing opportunities and feedback, honest feedback, um, that that speaks to those opportunities for improvement is is really important. And I think that's important in all of us when we think about our own leadership abilities. Like how do we have conversations? How do we have collaboration that's real and transparent and honest? How do we show up not afraid of conflict, but willing to provide feedback to our colleagues in a way that's constructive? Nancy, I, I must say that you struck me when you mentioned that the word, the key word iteration, because mm -hmm. this is something that maybe you and me have in common. Uh, it is that I see my personal development as an iteration. Nothing is perfect, but I have to start early, early enough in order to get on each iteration, I get to improve a little bit. Not the magnificent big changes, but every time that I do, I try something new, I get some data to validate if it moved the needle or not. And it, life is like continu continuous iteration. And that drives me to the to the core of the, the, the why of your book. In fact, your book has been designed in order that people, before they take leadership uh, positions, they develop the leadership traits. And it's better that you use it when you are still not a leader because you can do mistakes and okay good i learned mm -hmm. and and many of the leadership traits you don't need to be in that title on that position to go and make it make it happen i i love that uh nancy thank you thank you i i felt like the book you know the time for the book was now i did not know the pandemic was coming when i wrote it um, so, you know, it, it, it's actually more relevant now than I imagined it would be. And I'm just starting to think about the next one, which I think will be a really interesting follow-up to it. And frankly, I'm sort of excited about doing a book tour because my book launched in November of 2020, right in the middle of lockdown. And we were all inside. It was a real bummer. And I didn't get to do a book tour. I didn't get to meet people which is why we're talking about it now, almost 2024. So I'm really excited to write the next one and meet people that, you know, have insights either about their experience with the content of the book or about their experience in in their work period. Mm. I, I, I would really be glad to be informed when you launch your book, because really, I, I, I feel like the way you communicate is the right way to, in order to touch the hearts of people to drive this little nudge that make us change and start the action. And I love that. Um, <clears throat> now, 
COVID happened, we didn't expect it, we couldn't predict it. Technology is making that a lot of the things that we thought that weren't possible can be quickly re be replaced by a tech company made by two co-founders who are living in the middle of uh, Utah or whatever funny place you have in the United States. Um, so there is kind of a lack of predictability in business uh, that if the leader cannot embrace this mess that he cannot decode um, um, and, and face his, uh, his fears, he will not be successful. So how do you, how do you practice um, as, a, as a leader or as a leader to be to embrace this, this mess? How do you do that? Yeah. Well, I think first and foremost, you have to just commit to the idea that people are messy. Where, you know, I mean, I, I think we know that where there are humans, there are problems. And some days that's a great challenge and some days it's a wild frustration. Um, but I do think that all humans, very especially leaders, but anybody in the workplace needs to get better at accepting uncertainty. Um, you know, one of the things that has changed for my business is we we evolved a change practice because you cannot implement new technology without thinking about how it's gonna change people. Well, let's think about that on a grander scale. And that's been a huge differentiator for my company, but let's think about that on a grander scale. I think, we, what do we hear inside of organizations all the time? Nobody wants change. You can't make you can't make people change. They're uninterested, they dig their heels in. If it's not broke, don't fix it. And all of that is because you know, the future is unknown. We romance, when you think about even how we talk about the past, I've heard people say, you know, really lovely things about the period when we were all inside because of COVID, because they romanticize what was because they know it. I survived that. It was actually a good experience. I liked being home with my family, you know, whatever it is. Um, my father, you know, romanticizes the good old days. And I've had to say to him, when is that dad? When, <laughs> when were the good old days? Because I remember recessions, uh, you know, there was the, in his lifetime, the Vietnam War and the Korean War, the second world war, you know, um, I, I, I don't know when the good old days were, but we romanticize the before times because we know them. <laughs> and I think that leaders, but all humans need to get better at accepting uncertainty, recognizing that unpredictability is part of business and learn to be comfortable with what you don't know and not having all the answers. I also think we all need to get better at agile decision-making. I'm somebody who doesn't respond well to over-analysis. You know, I'm somebody who operates a lot from my gut. I know if something feels right and if it doesn't. And if I'm wrong, I will accept the consequences of my error. But I think developing the ability to make quick and informed decisions in uncertain situations is super important. And I think while we may have CEOs or leadership that's great with numbers, great with uh, you know deal making, um, a lot of numbers and deal making are two spaces I know for certain require a ton of analysis. And sometimes we simply don't have the time to invest. And not suggesting we don't make informed decisions. The data exists, but going over it a thousand times is not going to change the end results. And I also think, um, you know, the other way that we can address the mess is continuous learning. And I touched on that earlier. I think embracing a mindset of 
continuous learning, getting better at being adaptable. It's better for our brains anyway. As we grow, you know, being able to shift quickly and deal with what's coming is a great way to exercise our minds, our cognitive abilities. But it also helps leaders navigate through, you know, these unpredictable scenarios that we were really confronted with during the pandemic. Uh, I noticed that you have used the, the word guts. And mm. huh, I must say that most of people believe that guts is just something like ins inspiration coming from the sky, like from heaven, that is some illumination. And, and in fact, it's highly correlated to the lifestyle that you decide to have which is if you decide that if, um, instead of looking at numbers and maybe procrastinating a little bit, uh, go and try to do a mini experiment with lower low risk, uh, mm -hmm. that is something that in fact improves, refines, fine tunes your guts. It is not, in fact, we believe that is guts is completely rational. No, it's a cognitive process that where our brain learns how to read patterns, but these patterns are made out of ex experiences, fails, failures that we have uh, that we have done in our life. So if you don't go and try to do your failures and you need just a lot of information and fail anyways, then you don't develop your guts. Um, mm -hmm. There was a second thing that you that you mentioned. It, it, it was about the fact that we romanticize the past. Uh, in fact, it's not we. I think it's also how our brain has been built. That we think when we think backwards, we can we think about it like in a better shape that it was in reality. And also mm -hmm. when we think about the future, so either we think that the future is going to be worse than actually it will be, or better. Like for instance, I hey, when I get my car or I get married, I'm going to be happier. And then we end up being a little bit less happier than what we expected. And mm -hmm. so our brain sucks at forecasting the future. So we need to create this kind of self-awareness where whatever we think is not going to be as bad as or worse than the, mm -hmm. what, we, what, we, what we think. And that's something that is also quite uh, trainable. Mm -hmm. Talking about fails, Nancy, I have to ask you a personal question. So what are the things that in your experience as a, as a CEO of your company, uh, where you feel I have failed on that? Mm. Um, I probably feel like I failed every day um, at something, you know, and I do know that communication, you know, in my attempts to empower my leadership team, I believe that I have become a lesser communicator because my instinct is to talk to everybody regularly, but I'm really trying to stay out of the weeds and let my leadership team run the day to day. And because of that, I question every day if I'm communicating enough or effectively. So I, as much as I can identify communication as a key issue inside of organizations between leaders and workforce, I also know that it's a failing or a stumbling block for me. Um, so there's that. I think, um, you know, over the course of 25 years, I've certainly handled individual situations in ways that I regret um, because I'm human. I've had moments, you know, and I also think our definition of professionalism is evolving. You know, it used to be that you couldn't have emotion at work. It used to be that you couldn't 
react with anger or, you know, anything that was, and when I say extreme, I mean extreme for the professional. I don't yell or freak out or whatever, (laughs) but I think the thing that always separated me or differentiated me from other leaders or CEOs was the fact that I do bring emotion. And sometimes I fail at delivering an emotional message in the spirit in which I intend. Um, so while I think that's sort of my superpower, you know, I, I feel strongly and passionately about, you know, you talked about guts. I think my gut is hardwired to my emotion. And, you know, when I say guts, it's instinct, it's experience, it's mistakes. It's this, it's this amalgamation of, And sometimes I, I misfire. Um, And I think, you know, those are things that I can't go back and change, but I can apply to future interactions and, and just try to get a little better all the time. Indeed, indeed. And and I think that thanks to all of our mistakes that make us the person that, that we are today, uh, Mm -hmm. and that allows that Nancy's recognized like a, a super good like person to to mentor other people that's why she wanted to uh to share her experiences in in her book because you have failed you have made certain Mm -hmm. uh, the good steps to create this uh experimentation in, in your life i i wanted to get back to something that somehow i saw it reflected in uh in your book um and but i it wasn't a chapter so, and it, it is about the confidence. Mm. And that relates also to the earlier topic that we were talking about before about the, uh, the, the fact that, yeah, okay, there is a study showing that feminine traits are, are better for the current leadership uh, style that is required today and so on. And then the, there is also some research that shows that uh, showing teeth uh, is a common shortfall on women versus men. That the fact that we always think that women will not be great at certain leadership position is because they are not as show of or showing aggressivity as men. So mm-hmm. which is related to the confidence building. So, mm-hmm. but do we need confidence to be, to, to work like a boss? I think in order to work, I think confidence comes from competence. So I think being good at what you do and that includes acknowledging your failures and improving from them um that leads to confidence i have confidence at this stage in my career because i've fallen down so much but i think uh the concept of showing teeth is an interesting one because you know when i think about that i think are we saying that women um don't have the same kind of assertiveness or aggressiveness that we would expect from men And I think assertiveness is important, but it also has to be balanced with empathy and understanding. Mm -hmm. And that is where I believe women show up really strong. And, you know, I think women have been stereotyped as bringing their emotions to work, demonstrating emotion in a way that's uncomfortable. But I will tell you that nine times out of 10, I think people respond to 
the emotion, you know, the, the, the empathy, they respond to that connection more than they respond to being attacked in an assertive way. I also think effective leadership is less about gender-based traits and more about adapting one style to the needs of the team and the situation. So I don't approach every situation exactly the same. You know, I often say my job is to sort of be a chameleon. Now, you know, when you, when we started our conversation before you started rec recording, you talked about the language in my book and you called it rough, which I love. Actually, you're the first person who's ever used that word. And, um, and I think, you know, what I was really shooting for was approachable, accessible, you know, easy to consume. I wanted it to be an airplane read because I didn't want anybody to pick it up and think it was super dense and God, this is going to take forever. <laughs> but I also think, you know, what I was striving for was authentic and attainable. And I think both men and women can be effective leaders by being authentic and adaptive to, you know, their unique leadership style. Everybody's going to show up different, but recognizing what your people need from you in any given situation is a skill that leadership, if they're good, develops over time. And so, you know, I, I, I'm a larger woman. I have a big voice. I have lots of opinion. And so people think, oh, she's aggressive, right? Or or people say to me all the time, how do you have so much conf confidence? And it's like, well, I don't know that I always do. I have the same little demons on my shoulder that everybody has, right? Telling them, oh, you could have done that better. You didn't, you know, that was dumb. Or I don't spend the same kind of time perseverating over my mistakes that I used to. You know, I used to stay up all night long thinking, oh, I blew that meeting. I could have done that differently. Why did I say that? Now I'm like, well, it's over. And if I really made an error, I'll deal with that tomorrow. And if I didn't, there's no point in keeping myself up all night. But I am not an aggressive person. I'm simply somebody who cares a lot. And at the end of the day, I think that's what we need from all of our leaders. Cared, not just for the numbers, not just for the deals, not just for the shareholders, but for the people that do the work and the people that we produce the work for. Hmm. Nancy, you you made me think because you you were you started talking about authenticity, um, and just to be to be true to you, like last week I was like li listening to one audiobook and 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 then the, the concept of authenticity came up. Is is it was a psychology um, uh, book, and does it really exist? Can we really be authentic, or is it like reshape authenticity, like? If I notice that I have certain weakness, I don't have to always show it, but get a little bit better at that or try to compensate it. That means that kind of I'm cleaning the rough edges of, of, of my personality that wouldn't work for me, for the person that I want to be. So mm -hmm. is it about the person that I want to be or the person that I am today? Like hmm. with all my weakness, should I show it all over my people? Mm -hmm. What's your take about that? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, it goes back to being adaptable, because I think if I come in, you know, really enthusiastic and feeling, you know, if I come in really big, it could be overwhelming to the person that I'm engaging with, or the <laughs> team that I'm, you know, uh, uh, trying to have a conversation with. So again, it's my job to, rec to, to know my audience, right, to read the room, and understand when my 
message is hitting the way I want it to, or when it's just missing the mark completely. But that I don't think has to require a sacrifice of authenticity. I think it has to, I think it requires um, uh, an understanding of delivery. Mm. Um, And, and so to me, I don't, I don't, I don't feel like I am ever disingenuous or inauthentic, but I do feel like I have to frame up messages sometimes, especially the most difficult of them in ways that are palatable or digestible for the the audience that I'm delivering to. I love that, Nancy. Thank you very much. Nancy, so we have been discussing a little bit about the topic of leadership, especially the, the fails and how how leaders can overcome them. And and thank you very much for your uh, powerful messages. And uh, some of the messages I I, I use for for the discussion, I use your your, your book as as a guideline for our discussion, your your book that is Work Like a Boss, a kicking in the pants guide to finding and using your power at work. And hopefully very soon there will be another book. And that's something that I'm super interested to, to be inform. Nancy, how can people reach you out? How can, can if if they have questions, I mean, one, because you are inspirational in terms of leadership. And secondly, because of the type of work that that you do with your tech uh, and digital uh, consultancy uh, company, how can they reach you out? Well, I appreciate you asking that question. So first of all, you can find me really easily at nancylyons.com. Um, you can find the book at worklikeaboss.com and it'll direct you to every place you could possibly buy it, including Amazon. Um, you can find my companies at clockwork.com. And then we have a studio called Tempo and that's made by tempo.com. I'm also on social media at Nylon. So you can find me on X at Nylons, on threads at Nylons, Instagram <laughs> at Nylons. Um, and I did that because my name is Nancy Lyons. When you just put my initial N Lyons, when I would do that, people would read it as nylon. So I just took it. And uh, and you can always tell how long somebody's been on a social media platform by how unprofessional their social media handle is. So, you know, I've been there a long time and I'm not changing it now. <laughs> Nancy, so I'm going to be writing all of these uh, links to your personal website, to your business site. Um, and so on, and to the book, by the way, because people has to to get accessibility to this book. Uh, thank you very much for your time. Really, it was so nice to have you today with me. Oh, thanks for having me. It was a delightful conversation. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Nancy.